Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. When thinking about your journey towards better health, do you think about water? It's no secret. We know how important it is to drink water, but we often forget to consider the quality and safety of the water we are drinking every day. Research shows that despite where you live, there is a high likelihood your tap water may not be as clean and safe as you think. Clearly Filtered is on a mission to help you and your family stay hydrated, healthy, and safe by providing the best filtered water products on the market today. Clearly Filtered makes insanely powerful water filters that completely blow the competitors out of the water. Clearly Filtered is independently tested and certified to remove over 272 harmful chemicals and toxins found in our drinking water today. They are easy to work with, family-owned, made in the USA, and passionate about trying to help provide us with clean and safe water every day. I love that Clearly Filtered is affordable compared to many other untested alternatives, has portable filtered water products to take on the go, and helps you stay safe and hydrated everywhere. Clearly Filtered products are also eco-friendly and can significantly reduce plastic and water waste through their patented filtered technology. Join the tens of thousands of new customers today who have joined Clearly Filtered in the quest for better health through clean and safe water. Go to clearlyfiltered.com and use the code JUSTINGREDIENTS to save 15% off your order today. Dr. Uma Naido is a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist, professional chef, and nutrition specialist who wrote the recent national best-selling book, This Is Your Brain on Food. She founded and directs the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the United States and is the director of nutritional and metabolic psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and director of nutritional and lifestyle psychiatry at the MGH Academy while serving on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Uma is regarded as the U.S. pioneer in the groundbreaking area of nutritional psychiatry. She is a regular expert resource for media and has appeared in publications including the Wall Street Journal, the Boston Globe, Goop, and more, and appearances including ABC News, Live with Kelly and Ryan, and Today. Thank you so much for being here today. I have been so excited to interview you and to just ask you so many questions about children and the brain and food. So thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. I really was looking forward to talking to you too. And I love the work that you do. Thank you. Tell me a little bit more about yourself, your background. How did you get studying nutritional psychiatry? So it's definitely a more nascent term for something that I've been doing quite some time, Carolyn, but, you know, kind of stems, goes back to my childhood. I grew up in a very large South Asian family and uh, was spent a lot of time with my uh, maternal grandmother, to whom my book is dedicated because my mom was in medical school. So when she was studying during the day, I would hang out with my grandmother. I chose to, to skip out of preschool. How they let me get away with that, I'm not quite sure still. But, you know, that was, uh, that was what I wanted to do. But, you know, I think it was natural absorption of my environment. My grandparents taught me they were both Hindu they taught me uh, yoga and meditation my grandmother would prepare pick fresh vegetables from the garden and prepare them so I was around those types of foods and those types of meals but then there was this mixture of science and Ayurvedic practice because some members of my, some of 
my uncles and aunts were physicians and allopathic physicians and others were Ayurvedic practitioners. So it was sort of this mind, body, soul connection that I grew up around. And when I studied, uh, began to study psychiatry, I, I felt that there were not enough tools in the toolbox for mm. people that, you know, it's, it's not just about therapy and medication. I think that, that there's so many other lifestyle uh, factors that affect us. And I was very deeply rooted in that just from how I was raised and a very important moment early on in my career. Not only did I love food and nutrition and science, but a patient helped guide me to the fact that translating nutrition information to a person really can make lifestyle changes and be an additional tool that they could use to feel emotionally well. He kind of came in yelling at me, uh, raising his voice, let's say, and I was very timid, uh, very junior doctor, and, <laughs> and uh, claiming that I caused him to gain weight from the medication I prescribed him from the screen in front of me and looking at the data. I knew that it wasn't medication because of the time frame, but I listened to him and he had this very, very large cup of coffee in his hand. And in the Boston area, we love our Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And I looked at it and I, for some reason, it occurred to me to say to him, you know, Bill, what did you put in your coffee today? And for a second, he was distracted and he said, well, you know, I put this and that. And when we sat down and calculated, he put more than a quarter cup of processed creamer and eight teaspoons of sugar in. Oh, wow. And he realized just through, you know, simple calculations, the number of empty calories he was consuming, that was more likely on a daily basis adding to his weight than other things that he was consuming. So the fact that, you know, his eyes lit up with that knowledge and it was sort of like a light bulb went off. That was also reflecting back to me as my aha moment where I realized, you know, people understood this when they are prescribed a medication, when they are doing different forms of talk therapy, it can be very powerful uh, to help their emotional well-being. And that's really when I began to pursue it much more diligently. Wow, that's fascinating. I love that there was an aha moment for you. <laughs> okay, since then, you've written a very popular book called This Is Your Brain on Food. And I really loved the book. I thought it was fascinating. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about the book? Absolutely. So it's based on my work in nutritional psychiatry. And the book came about because I had the opportunity to bring my different forms of training and my love of food, uh, nutrition science, as well as the culinary arts in the form of a clinical service that I run at Mass General Hospital. It's really giving people the chance to get nutritional psychiatry evaluation based on the work that I do. And from this opportunity came also, Carolyn, you know, opportunities to write blogs and publish different media outlets about the work, especially where there was a lot of fascination around the gut-brain connection. And that led to how the book evolved, sort of a thirst for this information, let's say. So the book is intended to be a guide to help people get started. It doesn't mean you have to have a diagnosis. It doesn't mean that you have had to see a mental health clinician. It's really a way to understand the different conditions and understand the foods that you should avoid, but also the foods that you can embrace to feel emotionally more fit. And I think it's one of the things I care deeply about is destigmatizing mental health and making it a conversation that we're having. Uh, which is what I really appreciate about the work that you're doing. Because I think that when people are afraid to share 
any deep set feelings that they have or the struggles, especially during COVID where there's been quarantine, isolation, not seeing all family members, not being able to see your loved ones. And sometimes people are isolated or with their families and still struggling, whichever it might be, but it's part of that conversation. I think it's the silent pandemic. So it's the book is intended to be something you can pick up and read and understand how you we eat, we eat several times a day. How can you do it a little bit better? No one's perfect to improve your mental well-being. Well, I love that part of the book that you can just look at a different health condition and then read about that health condition and find out what foods help it and don't help it per se. So I just want to talk to you about some of those topics in the book, some of those health conditions. And because I am an advocate for mental health and I dealt with depression myself years ago, I loved that chapter in your book and want to talk to you about anxiety and depression. What is happening in the brain when someone has depression or anxiety? Absolutely. So, you know, these conditions are really thought now to be much more multifactorial than they were. But in terms of the brain, the systems in the brain, the reason that we developed, that pharmaceutical companies develop medications are that they act on the serotonin system. And much of the background thinking has been imbalance of different neurochemicals that lead to these conditions. So if we look at that model, and we also understand the gut-brain connection, one of the things that has become very important for us in the last couple of decades is the science that has taught us all about the gut microbiome, the gut microbiota. Down in our gut live about 39-odd trillion microbes that are there really to help us thrive. They are there to help us um, harness energy, work with our circadian rhythms, our sleep, our hormones, our vitamins, mental health, uh, work with serotonin, fight off infections, all sorts of things. That, that's only a few of the things that they do. And food directly affects those microbes. And that's really the meaning of how the gut-brain connection affects the food-mood connection. And very simply, the gut and brain arise from the exact same cells in the body when our embryo, our little bodies are developing in the embryo. Um, they then multiply, these cells multiply, and they form these different organs in the body, which you know are far apart. The brain is not necessarily close to the gut, but they remain connected throughout life by the 10th cranial nerve called the vagus nerve. And this, like, this acts like a two-way superhighway, allowing for the chemical messaging back and forth, up and down, 24-7, 365 days a year. And we know that serotonin is one of the, the main players, let's say, as well as other neurotransmitters in depression and anxiety. But more than 90% serotonin is made in the gut and more than 90% of the receptors are there, which is why when someone is prescribed a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, like my patient had complained about, such as Prozac or Zoloft or, or several others, um, otherwise called fluoxetine or sertraline, they can sometimes initially develop gastrointestinal discomfort and side effects. So it's, it's related to the location of the receptors. The important thing for us to understand is that food is one of the factors now that impacts these neurotransmitter levels through the gut brain connection. And when we think about conditions like depression, there are certain foods that actually worsen depression. We might be eating them, we might be eating a a sandwich at lunch, and it might have processed meat products in it, processed cheese products, and we might have an additive called nitrates. And these are 
actually found bacon, salami, sausages, and other sort of cured meats. And these actually can worsen depression and it's been shown in studies. So it's just a simple thing, you know, switching out a, a simple food that you might be eating regularly, taking it back to my patient Bill, you know, when he realized the amount of sugar he was adding and processed uh, sort of food or processed creamer, he could tweak that to have a healthier version of the coffee that he loved um, and make some sustainable changes. So it's about understanding the gut-brain connection and then foods to embrace and foods to avoid. Okay, so I know my listeners are going to be like, okay, well, she talked about nitrates that can worsen depression symptoms, but what other foods are there out there? Are there other foods out there that contribute to the depression? Yes, uh, it turns out that, you know, we we worry about things like sugar and refined sugars and, and processed sugars for things like type 2 diabetes and weight gain, but it turns out there's a good amount of evidence that those added refined sugars, especially things that contain high fructose corn syrup, et cetera, actually worsen mood um, and they drive anxiety. So that's one big category. Another is the uh, what we call the higher glycemic carbohydrates. So carbohydrates are not to be demonized. They're part of our diet. We should be consuming them, but it's a form of carbohydrate that you eat. And things like just processed white bread, processed pasta, anything that's made from a super refined flour can be problematic for your brain health artificial sweetness and a lot of these actually straddle both depression and anxiety and then there are some additions uh, fried foods and sort of the you know the, the unhealthy uh, processing of the uh, processed vegetable oils that are used which are pro-inflammatory to the gut and uh, the other big one is nitrates okay that's good to know so i'm assuming that the oils, the fried food and stuff is because it's causing inflammation. Like you said, yes. it has too many omega-6s compared to those omega-3s. Omega-3s. And then Absolutely. I'm assuming the artificial sweeteners, because we do have some studies that they change the gut microbiome, correct? Yes, they do. They do change the gut microbiome. And even some of the more natural ones actually drive anxiety. So if someone is suffering with anxiety, they want to think about um, anything that they have in that sugar-free or diet soda, which may have some of those artificial sweetness. That's so interesting because so many women these days have a lot of that sugar-free, fat-free, diet-free, you know, diet foods, right. I should say. You not know, we go free. to that as part of a diet or trying to lose a few pounds and stuff like that, but they can be a trap for other reasons. And, and you're absolutely right. They disrupt the microbiome and it's something we sort of should be caring about our microbial health and our microbiome these days just because it's uh, impacting so many different functions of our body. Okay, so now I know the listeners are like, okay, I'll try to avoid some of those foods, but are there any foods that help when someone's dealing with depression? Absolutely. So, you know, I, I want to start broadly with some broad-based, uh, what I call some of the pillars of nutritional psychiatry, because by making these changes and then adding on foods that very much target depression, you'll be in a good spot. One of the principles is um, eat whole, be whole. So think about eating the whole orange and skipping the store-bought orange juice because the store-bought orange juice has all the fiber stripped away, some vitamins and nutrients, but you know it's processed and has a ton of added sugar. Just eat the orange, you'll get fiber, nutrients, and vitamins all there. Another principle is eat the color of the rainbow. So the biodiversity of what we eat in, say, plant-rich foods and the different colors of those plant polyphenols bring rich antioxidants and anti-inflammatory uh, substances back to the microbes in the gut. 
and can really help to help. There are many, many studies now showing that a plant forward diet, forward with vegetables and some fruit in mental health. I think about low glycemic fruit like berries are really super important for the gut gut health and keep the gut happy. So that's another principle. Uh, the other one that I think is really cool that people don't realize, you know, you often hear from your doctor, eat a salad, you know, eat more salads, eat a green salad. But the leafy greens, you know, romaine lettuce, arugula, the greener the better, contain folate. And folate is a key nutrient in depression. Low folate levels are associated with depression and in some studies a loss of brain cells. So it's just a great nutrient that you can get from your leafy greens, whether you're having them steamed with dinner or uh, part of a frittata maybe that you're making, if you consume eggs, but whatever it is, add them into your salads and have plenty of them. Um, and then I, I like to talk about more specific foods that nurture the gut. So prebiotic foods like the, the uh, allium family, garlic, leeks, onions, and then other foods that are the prebiotic fiber like bananas and oats. Those actually support those microbes. They feed them fiber. And when they get the fiber that they need, they thrive. When they thrive, I like to say a happy gut is a calm mood because those little microbes down there really are churning away, doing their job, producing positive substances from the breakdown products of food called short-chain fatty acids. And that's what we want them to be doing for mental health. That's the direction we want them to go in. When, as you pointed out, they're eating more pro-inflammatory foods like processed vegetable oils or those artificial sweeteners and less natural foods, let's say less whole foods, then the bad microbes thrive. They take over because they're being fed food that they love. And the bad guys love to create a chaos down in the gut. And what they do is they set us up for inflammation, dysbiosis, eventually what we call leaky gut. So it becomes important to think about those principles of how we can nurture the gut microbiome. Um, another big category in some recent research has shown fermented foods are super important for the gut microbiome as well. So those are just a few things to get people started. Well, I love that you mentioned all of that. And in fact, my kids this morning were just complaining about having oatmeal and bananas again for breakfast. And I said, it's feeding the good bacteria in your gut. Just eat it and enjoy it. And so uh, I'll have to say that you agree with me. So I loved that you said that. Okay, what about foods with omega-3s? Are those good for depression as well? Absolutely. So omega-3s very specifically target depression, anxiety, and help with cognition. And omega-3 fatty acids can be found in fatty seafood, like wild sockeye salmon, one of favorites, sardines, anchovies. They also are plant-based sources, and they can be found in walnuts, chia seeds, flax seeds, one of my favorite breakfasts, chia pudding, chia, very rich in, in short-chain omega-3s, but also protein and fiber. And then there are other nutrients, Carl, and it's besides those fermented foods and the omega-3s, you have, you know, B12 rich foods and you have magnesium rich foods. And then one of my favorites is what the untapped um, source of great mental health in our kitchen, which is the spices, our spice cabinets, you know, turmeric, oregano, lavender, passion flower, chamomile, all of these either as a tea or as a spice that you cook with, you know, are very powerful, as well as, as saffron has a significant amount of evidence in depression, except when we cook, we don't cook with much saffron. It's also a super expensive spice. So in that instance, it's one time when someone could maybe look at the supplement and speak to the doctor. Okay, so talking about supplements, do you ever recommend supplements or do you suggest just to get it from the food? 
You know, my, my thinking of this has evolved. Uh, when I first started out as a nutritional psychiatrist, as a much more of a purist, but with experience, I realized our diet and our lives are not perfect, looking more at the research. For example, I live in the far Northeast and many people may be deficient in vitamin D because we just had sort of a colder part of the world. Um, we do get hot weather, we do get all, all four seasons, but many people can be deficient. So checking vitamin D levels may be important. They might need a supplement. Omega-3, uh, fatty acids can be a great supplement if someone is really in the depths of a depression and needs some extra help in addition to food. Plus there are these environmental genetic pollution, so many evolutionary factors that affect us that, that even when we're making our best effort, we may not be eating the perfect diet. Firstly, that doesn't exist. But secondly, it has to be so right on. So it actually makes sense to supplement when we have nutritional gaps. And so I definitely do and recommend them uh, when appropriate. But what I've also found, Carolyn, is that each person has such a unique microbiome. It's like a thumbprint. So with that, we have to make the nutritional psychiatry plan, treatment plan, very specific to them as well. Yeah, that is true, because I know when I was trying to heal from depression, I was really low on B vitamins and yeah. low on magnesium. So, of course, I needed to supplement with those while I got my diet in order because my diet was, oh, Lucky Charms and Frosted Flakes and who knows what else <laughs> at the time. So, OK, so as a psychiatrist, do you believe that there is a point where medication is no longer needed for depression and anxiety? It all depends on the individual um, who needs to be assessed by that physician, by that prescriber, and I'll tell you why. I've had instances where people with counseling, with close guidance, um, have been able to taper down on medications. I've also had instances where individuals can avoid a medication because they are functioning well enough. Um, a patient of mine who had severe anxiety, but when we trace this back, um, Carolyn, you know, it was related to her change in her work situation eating more processed fast foods, junk foods and airports, drinking a lot more glasses of wine because she was networking with this great promotion and job that she had. And she was able to tolerate those dietary changes back to the way she had been eating to avoid, she had wanted to take Zoloft and avoid taking medication. And in some instances, people can safely be taken off their medications, but I want to be very clear that Medications and therapies are life-saving to many people, and we don't want to exclude them ever. So a lot of times I work with individuals who are on medications to tweak their diet to improve and boost their symptoms of better mental well-being. At other times, on an occasion, we can taper down. Um, it's not sort of this all-or-nothing response, and it has to be carefully assessed for each person. Yes, I agree with that, and I'm so grateful you said that, because for me, antidepressants were life-saving. But for me, it was something I was able to work with a doctor closely with for about 18 months, almost two years. And mm -hmm. we tapered down the medicine and were able to get off yeah. of it. But it does take working with a doctor and counseling or therapy. And everybody has different reasons as to why they're dealing with depression or anxiety. Absolutely. And sometimes my patients get annoyed at me because I will often say, you know, you're talking to your therapist. Are you engaging in talk therapy, please? You know, these are proven methods of helping people. Are you using CBT for anxiety? I mean, these are very important to include. And as you pointed out, and thank you for saying that, medications can be life-saving. So we want to find out what your situation is and see if we can help you taper down. And then I'm sure you will agree that to stay off of medications also involves work. 
it's diet, it's exercise, it's healthy living, it's lifestyle, it's so many things. So. It is. And it's a constant journey of working on it. Because just recently, yeah. I w- wasn't feeling the greatest and went and got tested and realized that my B vitamins were really low again. So I was like, okay, it's time yeah. to supplement with those. It's just part of the journey. It, part of the journey and, and testing, you know, you test it, you're not guessing, you're finding out what it is, and then you're supplementing with what's appropriate. I think that's that's key to finding our way forward, especially for those who are struggling during the pandemic, because it's, you know, mental health has really shown up in so many different places and become more obvious. And I think that many more people are suffering than, than we often realize. Right. Okay, so I'm going to move to another topic in your book. And you talk about insomnia and fatigue. And I know I have a lot of followers who deal with both of those. And I think just being busy moms or just busy people, people with hormones off, there's lots of reasons, obviously. But let's first talk about insomnia. First of all, what is insomnia? And is there a root cause to it? Insomnia uh, is basically our, the inability to to sleep and to fall asleep and again can be multifactorial it can certainly we can go to diet in a moment but it can actually be levels of stress it can there's a, a new term being used called corona somnia because people became so stressed during covid that one of the huge increases we saw was an uptick in new prescriptions for sleep medications mm. and uh, so much so that people are calling it coronasomnia. And that goes to looking at the causes, right? It can be increased stress, um, you know, a change in work, lifestyle, a pandemic. You know, it can be medical causes. You may have an underlying illness that may be causing the insomnia. You may have uh, a hormone imbalance. You may be going through a natural transition in life, like be perimenopausal and be struggling with sleep. Um, There are many different causes, but when we think about it, how is it that we can look at sleep in a holistic way? And what can we do to help ourselves sleep better? And it starts with what we call sleep hygiene. And I know that many of your listeners may have heard this before, but I can't stress enough that when you're not sleeping at night, you really do have to look at the few days before and what's been going on for you. If you're suddenly experiencing this, so it's been a buildup, what is your stress level like? You know, has something changed in your life, your lifestyle? Are you eating differently? You know, are you running to the supermarket late in the evening? Like that's when you need to get your groceries and then you're in bright lights and you, you know, that's not helping you sleep. Are you uh, having a glass of wine with dinner or two in order to go to sleep? that actually a glass of wine with dinner is completely fine if that's what you enjoy, unless you're leaning on it to help you sleep. Because in that case, it's going to disrupt your sleep architecture. You know, so putting together, are you, you know, playing, watching television with the kids until late? Are you uh, on your phone checking messages? So even, you know, that sort of digital cleansing of how we start to shut off our devices and the issue of blue light and how we get our bodies ready for sleep become important. Um, So I feel like it involves all of that. Believe it or not, hydration is important. Just keeping up bodies adequately hydrated throughout the day becomes important and where food can be super helpful is that I like to uh, call this breakfast for dinner it turns out that eggs and uh, certain forms of dairy and some other foods are actually rich in melatonin and uh, things like barley rolled oats 
uh, pomegranates, walnuts, and several other things, asparagus, broccoli, and cucumber are rich in melatonin. So I like to say have an omelet in the evening, you know, as part of your dinner as one of the foods that can help ease your body to sleep. And actually omega-3 fatty acids have been shown to help sleep. So, you know, maybe throw in some of those to what you're eating on the side. Um, then, you know, there are foods that actually help with fatigue. And the way to think about this account is that anti-inflammatory foods will combat um, the, will sort of help our fatigue by the, the way that they work, um, both, both anti-inflammatory to the body and the brain. Um, and then, you know, adding in spices, uh, black cumin, uh, turmeric have actually been very useful for fatigue. We mentioned magnesium earlier, supplementing after speaking to your doctor with magnesium or zinc supplements may be important. The B vitamins are important as well. So it's sort of this more of a system approach to, to thinking about how we can sleep better, right? And trying our best to remove the stress that we may be experiencing that's maybe leading us to poor sleep. So insomnia, is that something someone could get checked at the doctor's office, like blood work, could they see that maybe something is contributing to their insomnia? Would being low on magnesium be a root cause? Absolutely. I mean, if someone is, is struggling with insomnia and they're concerned that it's something new, it cannot be explained by change in lifestyle or change in their stress level, and they're just noticing that they're not sleeping, definitely get a check. Definitely have your doctor evaluate you because there are medical conditions that can, can cause insomnia and you want to make sure that we rule out any of those. So you say that stress is one of the root causes to insomnia, and I feel like so many people are stressed these days. So do you think adaptogens can help people with this? Certainly, if something that you've, you know, you've explored with someone who is prescribing your medication and knows what you're taking, you might be prescribed other medications as well. I think adaptogens, there's a place for them that can be helpful, but there's also lifestyle. There's also sort of looking at this, you know, I practice a model of psychiatry, which I call functional, integrated, and holistic. It's also looking at the whole person, the whole body, and that mind-body connection, mindfulness, spending outdoor time you know, uh, spending 10 minutes in outdoor daylight will give you 80% of your vitamin D. Vitamin D improves mood and helps uh, helps anxiety. So, you know, I think there are many ways to do this, but it's sort of, I, I think nutrition is a, is a huge lifestyle component and therefore nutritional psychiatric is very critical in terms of our brain health. But there are many, many things that you can be doing to to improve. Adaptogens is one of them, but but other ways as well. So it's a lot of lifestyle factors and nutrition. Yes. So let's go back to fatigue a little bit, because I know a lot of women suffer from fatigue. So you were saying B vitamins, like foods rich in the B vitamins are really good. What else besides the B vitamins? So oh. uh, the minerals, magnesium and zinc. So those foods oh, uh, that's would right. be super helpful. Um, vitamin C, D and E. Now vitamin D easily obtained through, like I said, uh, 10 minutes of outdoor time. Vitamin C, by the way, kiwi fruit and uh, red bell peppers, some of the highest in vitamin C, even though we tend to think of oranges and clementines and lemons and limes because they're citrus. Just also think a little bit out of the box there. Um, it turns out that uh, if you like spicy food, uh, you're in for a little bit of luck here because capsaicin-rich foods that have you know, the cayenne pepper or the serrano 
uh, hot peppers or jalapenos, those actually help uh, fend off fatigue. And um, some spices, uh, you know, not everyone cooks with turmeric, um, but turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, the purpurine and black pepper activates the active ingredient in turmeric, makes it more bioavailable to your brain. That's so easy to throw into a soup, a smoothie, or even a tea. Um, I have a recipe on my Instagram for a mood-boosting chai latte, which is basically made with turmeric and a milk of your choice. Um, and it's one of the things that you can easily uh, incorporate into, into your daily diet to kind of start to fend up that fatigue. So in the middle of the afternoon, when these moms are so tired and they want to reach for their Diet Coke, a turmeric <laughs> chai latte, like you're saying, I call it a mood boosting chai latte, but it's basically a golden latte. It's made with turmeric and a milk of your choice. That would be a better choice than their Diet Coke. That would be a better choice. Another favorite I have is either matcha or form of green tea because Mm. green tea does have uh, some caffeine in it, but it gives you that uh, lift and greater focus without the buzz that caffeine does, that tends to give you. So that's another choice. Sip on some green tea, you know, make that into a latte with your choice of milk. Um, but maybe try those options in the afternoon instead of, you know, leaning on, on those diet codes to the code that you, you maybe have. Okay. I love those suggestions. Another topic in your book that I actually didn't realize had a role with nutrition is OCD. What is happening in the brain for someone who is dealing with OCD? You know, it's almost as though a person gets trapped in in rituals and habits that they feel so anxious if they don't perform these rituals or these behaviors that help almost calm them down. So people will do things like wash their hands way too many times. They will not be able to leave home because they keep going back to check the door and make sure that it's locked, but they be, become afraid that they left the stove on. For any one of us, we may be concerned about these, but we might check the door and move on. They become almost trapped in a repetitive cycle of behavior. And food actually uh, can be quite significant. I, I work with some very interesting individuals who, after speaking with me and working on foods that they should try to cut back on or avoid, they actually noticed a reduction in symptoms. What I will say with um, OCD though, uh, Carolyn is that sometimes people more often need to be on some form of medication, even if we're able to lower the dose of that medication, because it is such a difficult condition in the sense that sometimes a person cannot function properly. I had an individual who was getting late for work and getting into trouble because she was checking so many things at home in this ritualized behavior that she wasn't getting to work on time. It can affect your functioning. And so sometimes even a small dose of medication is needed to start to help those symptoms remit. If it's a very severe form, you might need much more intensive treatment, but it's, it's also helpful to know how eat differently as well. Yes. So I'm curious to know how you can eat differently. Are there certain foods that help OCD or certain foods that make it worse? Absolutely. So uh, NS.16, which is a supplement, has been shown in studies to be helpful, but uh, you can also find cysteine-rich foods to be effective. And cysteine-rich foods include things like meat, grains, eggs, ricotta cheese, uh, broccoli, peppers, red peppers, and onions. So you know, you can try to include those. Then uh, other types of food uh, which contain glycine include things like 
certain forms of meat, fish, some dairy products, legumes, spinach and kale. Vitamin B12, extremely important in OCD. So making sure that you check with your doctor and maybe take a supplement that is appropriate for you. Um, Turmeric is another thing that shows up here. But what I also find in addition to foods to include, many people don't realize that they're natural forms of glutamates. Uh, many people know about MSG and try to avoid those, but they're actually natural forms of glut glutamates and glutamic acids in certain foods that are natural and otherwise healthy. And just being wary of these things like tomato sauce, uh, even miso, which is otherwise a great fermented food and great for the gut, but individuals with OCD might have to be a little bit careful. Uh, Parmesan cheese, mushrooms, things like that. So with OCD, it really depends on your symptoms. These are not foods I like people to exclude entirely, but if you have OCD, we want to look at the natural glutamates in certain foods that you might have to be careful about. That's interesting about the glutamates. Besides food, are there supplements that those dealing with OCD could use to help them? Absolutely. So one of them is the uh, N-acetylcysteine, sometimes called NAC, so maybe speaking to your doctor about that. Um, another one uh, could be myonacetol, uh, depending on what form and speaking to your doctor about that, but you can also actually get it in, in fresh foods. Um, so, you know, I would say that uh, B vitamins, uh, so B vitamin B12 would be an important supplement to look at. Some studies show that a supplement with milk thistle uh, was important. Uh, I've seen milk thistle as a tea and have used it and it's great. So I always think that the more times that you can almost find a food equivalent and add that on in a, in a building up sort of way, build that into your diet on a regular basis and continue to have it, it actually could be very beneficial. Well, thank you for explaining those. That's good to know. Okay, so let's move on to another topic from your book. You talk about ADHD. And I know a lot of parents are dealing with children that struggle with ADHD. So how does diet contribute to ADHD symptoms? Absolutely. Uh, there are a lot of correlation studies to show that um, the added refined sugars, colorants, dyes, preservatives in food actually impact the brain and development of the brain and create an uptick in ADHD symptoms. So, you know, being careful around the added sugars, the high fructose corn syrup. Um, often, you know, there are about 200 other names for sugar on food labels. So just being wary of those. One of the ones I like to tell people about is brown rice syrup. Uh, people know that brown rice is generally a healthier choice, but brown rice syrup is just sugar. It's really important to learn as much as we can about these food labels. And then there was also an association with gluten. So some individuals had a, had improvement in symptoms of ADHD if they did a slow elimination of gluten. Um, some people have, there's small, very small percent of people have actual celiac disease, but there's also a condition called non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And they might actually be individuals who would also need to just cut back on sources of gluten and see if their symptoms improve. The other one food to be concerned about is dairy because the A1 milk caseins, it's one of the proteins in milk be problematic. Um, but now in supermarkets, you will see milks called A2 milk and other options for such individuals could be nut milk, uh, sheep's milk, you know, other forms of milk that are not dairy. 
And then foods that you can build in, it was found that eating breakfast was super important. And studies showed that eating breakfast was helpful for not for kids, but for adults with, because I see this in adults as well, having small amounts of coffee, caffeine was linked with improved symptoms at less than 400 milligrams a day, which is usually about one to two cups, depending on the strength of the coffee and the form of coffee that you're drinking. Polyphenols from berries, eggplant, onions, kale, coffee and green tea, very helpful. Um, like I said, having that green tea in the afternoon can actually help focus and attention um, without the sort of buzz that you get from uh, necessarily find it hard to have coffee after a certain time. Vitamin C, my two favorite besides citrus fruit, uh, kiwi and red bell peppers. Um, and then again, going back to zinc, iron, potassium and magnesium. So making sure you have a nourishing whole foods diet will bring, bring in those nutrients. Okay. You talked about A1, A2 milk. So if someone is dealing with ADHD, is A2 milk a better choice or just avoid it's that as better, well? It's a better choice for them. So if they consume dairy and they like that, you know, they could, they, if they want to give up dairy, they can go to a nut milk or sheep's milk or something like that. But if they like actual dairy milk from cows, then maybe trying out the A2 milk would be useful. And can we talk about artificial dyes with ADHD? Because I have seen a lot of studies that they do contribute to um, hyperactivity, things like that. But then on the other hand, people will tell me all the time, well, they're safe, they're approved, you know, they're fine to eat. So what's your thought on that? So, you know, there are a ton of correlation studies with these. And in my clinical experience, which is what I always lean on, elimination of those artificial dyes and colorants and colors are much healthier for the developing brain of the child and definitely show an improvement of symptoms. Um, you know, I think that it's hard sometimes because we look at what we eat and we don't realize something may be contained. But baking from home, there are really cool ways that you can get colors into foods and baked goods and stuff like that, you know, without necessarily going to a colorant or a dye that is either processed or the types that are, you know, more problematic. So, you know, and often those colorants and dyes that we're talking about are the ones that are in foods that either we don't realize or, you know, they've approved for eating the food product. But I guess what nutritional psychiatry does is it hones in on that impact on your mental health. So when people are making that remark, I wonder if they say, well, maybe it's not so much your physical health, but I would even argue that because they are disruptive to the gut microbes as well. So okay. um, I would say it's safer to avoid them if you can. Right. And you know, I also believe, Carolyn, in the 80-20 rule. We're not perfect. Life is not perfect. But if you can try for most of the time, and there's going to be that 20% time, color and dye, whatever it is that creeps in. It's okay. The life is about finding that balance. Oh, I like that you said that because I always tell people you can't remove all the toxins from your life, but you can lessen the burden on your body. And so I that's what that. it's you about. Can, exactly. That's perfect. It's so well said because you can lessen the burden on your brain health, you know, and you can actually feel emotionally better if you try these. It's not going to be perfect, but you can try it. I always say you can course correct at the next meal. So if you've, uh, you've eaten whatever it is that you are not happy with, you know, next meal, you can make up for it. There you go. That's great. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for teaching us all these things about these different health issues and how food plays a part on our brain or with our brain, I should say. 
Are there any other aspects of nutritional psychiatry that you want to tell the listeners about? Absolutely. I would, I would love to just share that this is not an overnight quick fix. It's not a fad diet. It's about really instituting slow and steady changes. And I would just say, if you enjoyed this, think about looking at the book so that you can follow a plan that helps you or your family member or a friend. And remember that it's about making even one habit change today, if you've listened to this and found it helpful, that you can sustain. And I promise you, the moment that it kicks in and you've done to feel better, you're going to want to do more. So think about one habit that maybe you've picked up during the pandemic that you want to change and start there. Oh, I love as a psychiatrist that you share that because when I wanted to feel better, when I was dealing with my depression, I told my doctor, I said, if you overwhelm me, I won't be able to do it. But if I can do one little thing at a time, I can do it. And so I took one little step at a time. And you're right. Once I started feeling better, I wanted to do more because I wanted to keep feeling better. So that is true. Well, thank you for validating that because it's not an overnight thing. If you think that you're going to have mood boosting chai latte or golden milk latte today and feel perfect tomorrow, no, you'll feel a little better. It's going to be good nutrition for your body, but it's building up and being consistent about that over time. Yes, definitely. So I always end my podcast by asking my guests what they believe the best ingredient to life is. I love the question. Um, I think for me, it's finding the joy. And I think that in life, there are often on every given day, any given time, we face challenges, we face difficulties, we face stresses. But if we can find the joy in that moment, to find the joy in that day, I find that it always centers me in a certain way. Not every day is happy, not every day is perfect. In fact, many are imperfect. But I think that's my anchor um, is to hold on to the joy. And I feel that that's probably for me, my most important ingredient. I love that. So I have to share this just the other day, we just started school. And my teenage son, my 17 year old was like, Oh, I'm so done with summer. I just want to start school. I want to see my friends, you know, I want to do stuff. So then three days into school, he says, I hate school. I just want to go back to summer. So it was a perfect opportunity to talk to him about finding joy in any situation that he's in, whether it's summer, school, something hard, something easy, that he's responsible for finding the joy in order to enjoy life. And so I love that you just shared that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Tell my listeners where they can find you. Absolutely. So I have a website and you can subscribe to my newsletter. We also put out blogs and tons of information there. And it's umanaidumd.com. You can find links to my book there and you can find my book, This Is Your Brain on Food at your local bookstore or anywhere online where books are sold. And you can also check out uh, my Instagram feed where we always share information on updated research. And that's at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O, which is at Dr. Umanaidum. Thank you so much. And if you haven't read her book, it's actually a really great book because I loved just looking for the health condition, like the chapter that I wanted to read about, and then to read all about that health condition and what helps it and what contributes to it. So it's a great read for anybody trying to live a healthier lifestyle. So thank you so much for writing that book. Thank you for being here. And thank you for all that you share. Thank you so much for inviting me. It really was lovely to talk to you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.